It's time, Keeper, to fulfill the most important part of your task as one who holds the staff. Are you ready to begin? Aletheia, circa 422 B.C. Hello, and welcome to Visions of the Past. My name is Andrew, and I'm the host of this Assassin's Creed lore podcast. This is episode 51, and today we're going to take a deep dive into the Fate of Atlantis DLC for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Shout out to the Graveyard Gamer on Twitter for bringing this topic up for discussion. And it's one that can be kind of confusing because there is the story we see with Cassandra, hidden documents within Atlantis itself, and the implications behind what is said between Aletheia and Layla. First, I want to start with the story of Cassandra. Taking place sometime around 422 BC, Aletheia beckoned Cassandra to open the throne room of Atlantis, telling her that because she has Isu blood in her veins, she can use her own blood to open the Great Seal. Aletheia told Cassandra that while the thrones were once just thrones, they now housed simulations that Aletheia created. These simulations were made for Cassandra to find the strength to carry the staff over the course of lifetimes, and that the power sources of this strength, known as Keeper Insights, will affect both Cassandra and Layla, the heir of memories. The first simulation that Cassandra visited was Elysium, based on the location within the ancient Greek afterlife that was reserved for mortals that were related to gods, other heroes, and the righteous. Here, they remained living a blessed and happy life, indulging in whatever employment that they had enjoyed within their life. This simulation of Elysium was ruled by the Isu Persephone and was on the edge of a rebellion because of her rule. Adonis, trapped in Elysium and unable to be with his love Aphrodite, was the leader of the rebellion and asked Cassandra to help weaken Persephone's rule of Elysium so he could escape. Hecate also tasked Cassandra to help undermine Persephone's rule, seemingly in order to rule Elysium herself. The last of the main players in Elysium was Hermes himself, the creator of the staff that Cassandra is learning how to use. He also follows Persephone without hesitation, being completely in love with her. While Cassandra was in the simulation, she learned from Hermes more about the Keeper's insights and how to use the staff, and that because Persephone controlled the gate of Elysium and refused to let anyone leave, she eventually helped Adonis's rebellion, leading to an assault on Persephone's stronghold. While it's unknown who won the battle, Cassandra made her way to the throne room, and while the details changed depending on the choices made in Elysium, Persephone's dog Ross jumped down the gate to the underworld after Persephone threw a piece of Eden down it. After a flash of light distracted Cassandra, Persephone forced her through that gate. In the underworld, Cassandra realized that Ross had turned into Cerberus, the three-headed hound that guarded the gates of the underworld, before being pulled from the simulation. The second simulation started right where the first had left off, where Cassandra eventually killed Cerberus. Taking the artifact from what appeared to be a collar around one of the three heads of Cerberus, she was able to resist its power much like she was able when taking the Atlantis artifacts from the legendary monsters that guarded them. Hades then showed himself and told Cassandra of the repercussions of the death of Cerberus. Worried about the dead being able to cross over into the realm of the living, Hades charged Cassandra to find four legendary heroes to guard the four gates of his realm. Cassandra responded by stating that she would if Hades taught her how to use the staff. 
Hades relented and told her to search out Sharon and help him and that he would help her. Eventually, Cassandra found, defeated, and recruited Greek heroes Heracles, Achilles, Perseus, and Agamemnon to guard the gates of the underworld. She also found the armor of the fallen to help close Tartarus based on the advice of Charon. During her exploits, Cassandra also came across Phoebe and helped her find her parents, allowing for Cassandra to give Phoebe a proper goodbye. Cassandra also came across other friends and enemies from her life while finding the underworld's keeper's insights. After finding the heroes and the armor, along with coming across her friends and enemies, Hades informed Cassandra that he had five gates and intended her to guard the final gate. After refusing to teach Cassandra what he knew of the staff of Hermes, a fight broke out between the two. After the fight, Hades attempted to trap Cassandra into the final gate, which she kicked him in the face, ending the simulation. The final simulation started where the second left off. As Cassandra was in the motion to kick Hades, Poseidon appeared and used his trident to separate Cassandra and Hades. Poseidon told Cassandra that the only place she belonged was in Atlantis. Once in Atlantis, Poseidon offered Cassandra the position of Dicastes, the judge of Atlantis, tasked to enforce Poseidon's laws around the city. After agreeing, Poseidon spoke about the differences between the senses of Isu and humans, stating that the Isu are blessed with the sense of knowledge. Stating that the sense of knowledge is more than the connection she has with Ikaros, which Poseidon called Vision of the Eagle, and that it does sleep within her, and to open it, the staff is the key, and that if she can fully awaken the sense of knowledge, she'll have mastered the staff. To grow this sense, Poseidon explained that all she had to do was find three keepers' insights within Atlantis. Cassandra also learned that she needed to fully activate her sense of knowledge to have full access to Atlantis. And to get out of the palace, she needed to find the Isu Codex located within the palace to start the progress and to leave. This Isu Codex explained the role of the Dicastes in greater detail, but also started to bring out the sense of knowledge within Cassandra, prompting her to state that it felt like the staff was becoming part of her and that it's like she can feel the Isu memories and hear their wisdom. As Cassandra searched for Isu codices and Keeper's insights to unlock her sense of knowledge, she found that helping Atlantis' citizens and finding Isu data caches that looks like they could be precursor boxes like we saw within Assassin's Creed Rogue and Assassin's Creed Embers all helped unlock her sense of knowledge. Cassandra also met with Poseidon's son Atlas, who tasked her to help his brothers Gadrios, Amphares, and Azaz with various tasks involving issues with the human population. After Cassandra helped Atlas's brothers and fully awakened her sense, she was approached by a human child who asked her to find his parents. Cassandra agreed, finding out that they were taken to an experimentation chamber within the city. Searching the chamber, she found replicas of the Minotaur, Cyclops, Rithering Dread, and the Sphinx. After finding these monsters, Cassandra was approached by Eta, who admitted that he had created them. Cassandra eventually freed the child's parents and confronted Aida about breaking Poseidon's law. Aida responded by telling Cassandra that he was advancing knowledge for the betterment of Atlantis. Aida went on to antagonize her, and with the idea that it was too late to stop what he had already started. Besides the four monsters that Cassandra saw, 
Aida had numerous clones of Cassandra behind a locked door. If Cassandra chose to go into that room, Aida told her that she was the perfect vessel and that she was what Project Olympios was always meant to be, an ultimate weapon, and that if they had an army of her that they could control, the upcoming war between the Isu and humans would be over in a heartbeat. After Cassandra saw Project Olympios, she returned to Poseidon's palace to discuss what she had seen. Eventually, Juno and Aida appeared and confirmed what Cassandra was talking about, claiming that even if Poseidon didn't want to admit it, war with the humans was coming. And that was a bigger problem than the solar flare that Poseidon was worried about. Juno did eventually admit that they created the Hecachondrias to keep humans from revolting and tried to threaten Poseidon to declare Aita the Dicastes Basilius, the leader of Atlantis. Poseidon responded by telling Cassandra to stop the Hecatoncres while he was attacked by Aida and Juno. After Cassandra defeated the Hecatoncres, she once again found an artifact within the monster's chest, and she was once again able to keep from turning into the monster through her Isu DNA. Upon returning to Poseidon, Cassandra learned that Juno and Aida had been imprisoned, and after everything that happened, Cassandra stated that she intended to save everyone that had been affected by Poseidon's hubris. Poseidon takes this as a sign of Cassandra's judgment of Atlantis as a whole, and has her use the artifacts from Cerberus and the Hecatontries and the staff of Hermes to sink Atlantis. As Cassandra was about to do this, she stated that she wasn't just awakening her sense of knowledge, that she was unlocking the power to destroy the city. Poseidon confirmed that if the staff was in the wrong hands, it had the power to destroy everything, and that only Cassandra could be its keeper. As Cassandra sank the city, the simulation ended, taking her back to the throne room. Alethea informed her that the trials were over, and that she had experienced echoes of memories that were distorted, but no less real. When asked who the memories belonged to, Alethea admitted that some were hers during her time as Dicastes of Atlantis. Alethea eventually broke down what the trials were meant to do for Cassandra. Meeting people from her past taught her how to say goodbye over and over as death came for the people she knew, but not for her as long as she held the staff. Elysium was meant to show what ruling with extreme order does. The underworld was to show the devastation that comes with chaos. And Atlantis showed her how flawed the Isu themselves were. As Cassandra left Atlantis, Alethea told her that there was no path to power for the Keeper of the Staff, that even though she had the power to bring the world to its knees, that was not her role, and that she must use her strength to restrain the Staff and to guard it. The story that I referred to at the beginning of the podcast that was hidden within documents were located within the Isud Codices, of which there are seven different sets. The first, titled The Father of Atlantis, recounts Poseidon's thoughts on human experimentation and that he plans to outlaw it in every cycle of Atlantis moving forward. Feeling that the lust for power corrupts the pursuit of genetic engineering in Atlantis, that the Isu either wields technology to control humans, or the humans use it to try and surpass the Isu, though both end up catastrophic. The next details a failed experiment as written by Aita's assistant. This codex detailed an instance where the assistant took one of Aita's experiments out for a day, and what happened after the experiment was taken into the arena. The IAOP Codex details notes from three separate Isu that came from a meeting between Persephone, Hades, and Poseidon 
dealing with solar instability, along with the notes from genetic experiments and observations about electromagnetic activity in the sun's photosphere. The personal logs were short feelings from Dia Prepis and an unknown Isu general, Meleta, Azaz, Mestor, Otto Krothonos, Nicolese, and the Arena Champion, while most are of personal matters to the writers. A few discuss changes in Atlantis, but one, Diaprepes, goes so far as to discuss the crowns worn by Hades, Persephone, and Poseidon, having devices implanted in them that give them power to control thought and the actions of others. Poseidon's logs are mostly short backstories on his ten sons, but the eleventh log is about Aida. The log on Aida describes how Aida was one of the greatest minds of the Isu's Illuminat cast, but because he refused to stop human experimentation, he was banished from Atlantis. A four-part encrypted message from an Isu wanting to be called Phanes, the ancient Greek god of procreation and the generation of new life, would only activate if it detected Isu-human hybrid DNA. This message was designed to activate for his daughter Eve, and discussed how Fanny's worked on Project Anthropos to create the human race. And when humans refused to be subservient, and as pieces of Eden were created out of a metal alloy known only as adamant, he implanted neural controls that allowed these devices to control the human race. Eventually, Fanny's fell in love with a human and removed her neural controls. Doing so not only caused him to lose access to Isu technology and the preservation of his consciousness, but forced the couple to escape Atlantis. Eventually, they had a daughter they named Eve, even though he feared the experiments that the Isu might do on a human-Isu hybrid child. The last bit of codices are all individual, but there are some interesting nuggets of information within them. One, from a historian, discusses the role of Kansas during the War of Unification and his development on the prototype Shroud of Eden. Another, of how Juno was exiled from Atlantis but most are snippets on the feelings of or about Poseidon, Hades, or Persephone. The third and final part of the story within the fate of Atlantis is the modern-day story with Layla Hassan. Layla's story starts right after she witnesses Cassandra's first meeting with Aletheia. Here, Aletheia calls her to the Great Seal of Atlantis. While her team thinks Aletheia's voice might be part of the bleeding effect, as they can't hear her. Aletheia blocks Layla's communications as she knows someone else is listening in. Conversation at the Great Seal revealed that Layla needed to name three symbols in order, and after some time in the Animus, found that the symbols laid in the tombs of Agamemnon, Eteocles, and Orion. But even though she did find them, she did not know what their names were. This led Layla to realize that she needed to relive some of Cassandra's brother Demos's memories to learn the names of the symbols. She then relived the memory of Demos's murder of the ancient Greek sculptor Phidias. While Demos brutally murdered Phidias, Phidias just repeated three words in order, over and over. While Layla eventually realized that those words were the names of the symbols, but her time in this memory ended up almost causing her death because of the bleeding effect. Layla's doctor, Victoria Babeau, pulled her from the Animus remotely because of this and because Sigma Team had attacked the Altair II. The crew of the Altair II held off Sigma Team and Layla opened the Great Seal of Atlantis. 
After the opening, Victoria begged Layla not to enter the Animus until they could hold a secure communication. Layla did agree, and an unknown amount of time passed. And as Layla finally entered the throne room of Atlantis, she received a message from Alana Ryan, a member of her team. As she reached out to tell her that they had now established a secure connection and that they were being listened into by Templar Black Cross, Juhani Otso Burke. Before Layla could get into the center of the throne room, Victoria approached, starting a conversation with Alethea about trust. The conversation eventually evolved into how Layla would take the same trials that Cassandra did, with Victoria worried about what direct exposure to Isu Tech would do to Layla. Eventually, though, Layla entered her animus to relive Cassandra's experiences in Elysium. At the point where Cassandra was pulled from her simulation, Victoria pulled Layla from the animus because of an attack from Sigma Team. Layla used the staff to kill two of the Sigma Team members with skills that she had acquired through the bleeding effect, allowing the third to leave with a message for Berg to come get her himself. An argument between Layla and Victoria ensued because of Layla's harsh methods and for the fact that Victoria forced Layla out of the Animus. With the memory files of the Animus starting to overwrite each other, Layla was forced to take a break from the trials and walked out of the throne room with the staff. After Victoria fixed the issues with the Animus, she had a conversation with Layla, stressing that she was concerned about Layla's health and Layla responding with her stubbornly stating that she was okay and not to worry. Alethea then showed up and added that as she relived Cassandra's memories of interacting with the Keeper's insights, she gained the same knowledge that Cassandra did. Layla then relived Cassandra's time in the underworld until she was forcefully pulled out of the Animus by Victoria at the moment that Cassandra was pulled from the simulation. This forced ejection led to another argument between Victoria and Layla. Victoria stating that the bleeding effect on the staff is affecting Layla in a negative way. Victoria then forced Layla to choose between the staff or herself. This led to a struggle where an angry Layla used the staff to throw Victoria across the room, killing her. The altercation led Alethea to regret choosing Layla as the heir of memories and that she needed time to think about what happened. Layla responded by blaming the staff and that she wasn't a bad person who killed and that she can control the staff and be the heir of memories. Alethea told Layla that it wasn't Layla's choice and that she would decide. After an unknown amount of time, the two had a conversation where Alethea told Layla to leave Atlantis. Layla argued that she had already seen the other two simulations, and after admitting to being affected by the bleeding effect, she convinced Alethea to let her run the final simulation. During that simulation, Alethea reached out to Layla to remind her of the changes that the staff will make and that holding the staff will cause someone to face immediate and future consequences for lifetimes. When Layla finished the trials, she woke to Otso Berg in Atlantis. The two had a brief conversation that showed the changes within Layla and ended with Layla beating Berg and paralyzing him from the waist down. Looking back on what Layla had done to Otso and Victoria, she seemed to feel a bit of remorse and then called for a pickup from the Altair too using Victoria's earpiece. This DLC can be a rough one to follow with the story. One of the things that makes this so rough is that the player is playing as Layla, who is reliving the life of Cassandra in the Animus, while Cassandra runs a simulation that was built by Alethea. When Alethea admitted to building the simulations, 
she stated that she built them from her own memories and memories of others. While we don't know exactly whose memories she used, we do know, based on who was in the underworld, that some were from Cassandra. How she got them is really anyone's guess. Personally, I assumed based on some of the things she said to Layla, that she had access to view future probabilities and use that information to build the simulations. With it being a simulation, that brings into question Alethea's motivations. Was her only motivation to teach Cassandra and Layla how to wield the staff? Because that is something we can't know unless something comes out in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It makes everything we see suspicious. At her interactions with Layla, it feels like it was meant to manipulate her for some unknown reason. When you take the dubious nature of the simulations and add the potential and accuracy of Layla's animus, it's difficult not to look at the experiences of Cassandra and the information that she found as 100% truth, even though there is some information in there that would add a lot of information on the lives of Isu. The one story that we do have to look at through a straight lens is Layla's. Her story shows her issues with the bleeding effect and the effect the staff has on her. It also seems to confirm that Layla has little to no Isu DNA within her, as she needs to open the throne room with a password instead of her blood, and she uses the animus for the trials instead of the simulations themselves. I also wonder if that is why she has so much of an issue with the bleeding effect and the staff. Thank you for listening, for your love of Assassin's Creed, and for joining me today. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to tune in for those. And if you love Visions of the Past podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about Assassin's Creed or topics that you'd like me to cover, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at visions underscore AC. And you can find those links in the show notes below. Until next time, my Assassin friends, make sure to follow the Creed. And to those Templars listening, may the Father of Understanding guide you.